The Rice Ricky Sanchez podcast is presented by our friends at DraftKings Sportsbook. They're not just our friends. No, no, no. We believe in them. Sign up for the DraftKings. Sign up for DraftKings Sportsbook. Download their top-rated sportsbook app and use promo code RTRS. And brought to you by Big Barker Therapeutic Dog Beds. Get yours at bigbarker.com slash Ricky. And of course, the official sponsor of the Corner 3 newsletter, Stateside Urban Craft Vodka. Get yours at statesidevodka.com. On the show today, a very special Thanksgiving episode. We imagine most people will not be... uh, going anywhere for Thanksgiving. So you sit at home and uh, and listen to the Ricky. On the pod, we will say farewell to our LeBron stopper, uh, the three-point shooting, defending, do-everything draft pick, Zaire Smith. We welcome Tony Bradley, who sounds like a former Sixer. Uh, and somehow, wa- welcome back, Ryan Brokoff. A former Sixers player is available for trade and uh, a veteran, uh, and we welcome, I'm sorry, a veteran of perhaps the greatest Liberty Baller staff of all time and the author of a brand new Sixers book that Ricky listeners specifically will enjoy called uh, Sixers Odyssey. This is it right here. Um, Where's Ben Rivera himself, Dave Ruder. So Dave will be on for the second half of the pod. I'm actually looking forward to this. Dave has, have we had trying to think so i'm trying to think of former well we'll do this during the pod i'm sorry <laughs> uh it's gonna be, i'm excited to have dave on before we get started our black friday t-shirt sale is back which starts on friday uh I, i'm getting emails about black friday sales today it's fucking wednesday so the black friday sale is is friday all the t-shirts will be 25 percent off which make them like 15 bucks which is awesome uh we will have four new shirts the city line series which is awesome. You can see them all on uh, the Rights Ricky Sanchez Twitter. Uh, the Maury themed Just Riffin' Baby, the Carl Landry Record Club, and Tommy from Down the Shore themed Stay Free My Goose. And we are doing a new color of the uh, of the shirt, the one with the names on the back. It is the color of the old Rockets logo, a uh, like a red and a yellow. It's really cool. So that'll be Friday. If you sign up for the newsletter, you will get the link right in your email box. So go to writesrickysanchez.com slash newsletter. Without any further ado, Amos and the chef. Welcome to the Right to Ricky Sanchez podcast. I'm Spike Gaskin, along with a guy who is going to try and eat his turkey through two masks and a face shield, Mike Levin. That's right. How you doing, it's man? The best way to eat it. it it's a really good. It's like a, you know, how like filtering water and stuff makes it taste better. That's how. That's how I do it with uh, with, <laughs> with the masks. Just throw it through a mask. Just shove it through one of the little pores of the hole in there. That's <laughs> good. You know, I have to tell you. 
So during this nine months of COVID, you and I, actually I just thought of this as I'm looking at you, you and I have lived, we always live different lives, but my work has required me to, and I, I don't begrudge it, we, we needed to do it, but my work has required, required me to go to work every day. So there, there has been a sense of normalcy, even though at work, nobody goes near each other and we're all wearing masks. I've like got up and got to work. Last week, because I was on a flight, I had to uh, work from home and quarantine until I got a COVID test and returned back. And it was the first time during all of this that I actually had to just stay in my house all day, aside from like, you know, going outside for some air. And then that was it. I don't know how you've done this for nine months. Like after one week of it, I was fucking like over it. Like I, I, I have a new, obviously I had a sense of empathy for, um, for like everyone who has gone through this in a different way, but you specifically, cause I talked to you for three hours a week. Like I, I did not know exactly what it was like to be home all the time like that. <laughs> I, I really didn't. I mean, I, I like, I really didn't. I never had to be. And it, I, like my job required me not to be. So, um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know what to say other than like, I know better about your experience now and I am I'm <laughs> empathetic. <laughs> well, Look, it's where I'm very lucky that I am employed and can work on this show from home. That's like so fortunate in so many ways. Been very lucky this year, career wise. Like so many people have gotten screwed in so many other ways, not just in every business, but like in my business specifically. A lot of writers I know that have uh, shows have had to consolidate or just like not got picked up because it's just too complicated to have to deal with it and like all the protocols and everything. Uh, so I'm super lucky for sure. Um, and the people like that are, that have to go to work, whether they're working at a hospital or any healthcare facility, if they're nurses or doctors or working in, you know, UPS grocery stores or grocery stores. Yeah, yeah. So, so many things or, that are you know, way more important than, than the jobs that we're doing. Yeah. Um, and so I, just, I feel very grateful, but like, yeah, man, this, but th this is like what, this is, it's a pandemic. Like it, it's a pandemic and you want to stay away from, from, from people. I haven't flown. I haven't gone anywhere. I've been in my one bedroom apartment this whole fucking time. Luckily me and Alyssa love each other very much because otherwise this would be a nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> total nightmare. Um, just being around each other all the time, but it's good. And we do like being around each other. So that's nice. But, um, well, and we only I, have one podcast microphone. We both now we we do like however many podcasts a week the two of us do. So that's <laughs> you know that's what we got to deal with. Um, but yeah, I mean it's just like I hope people are taking it seriously. I know people yeah. aren't. Like my neighbors across the hall are still having people over, and it drives me insane. They're, they had like eight people over last night, laughing, laughing it up. Just like no one's ever laughed louder than my neighbors across the hall as they're just flouting COVID rules. Like go fuck yourselves. Um, I. It's just, it's very frustrating to see people not giving a fuck as plenty of people are sacrificing their lives, not me, um, doctors, nurses, et cetera, people I talked about. And I'm at least like one of the people that is like, hey, I've fucking stayed home this whole goddamn time. And it's just like to see other people being like, yeah, whatever. It's, it sucks. I hate them. I hate those people. Yeah. And I it's, get that it's hard, but like, I hate, I hate those people. Yeah. And I understand that it's hard too, especially 
you know, nine months of it. And again, I, I have I, the first thing I said when I got to work on Monday morning and I sat down with the first show uh, that I met with. And, you know, it's become normal that we're in this four of us are in a giant conference room, all spread out, wearing masks. And it was funny when I when I had met with them from home over FaceTime without a mask, it was weird to, to be talking to them without a mask on because I haven't talked to them without a mask on in nine months. But what, what I said when I walked in there is like, we, we all were risking something by, you know, by having to work, you know, having to go out and go into the city and those sorts of things. I said, but man, I'll tell you that the people who, who are working from home during all of this and have not left their home, I was like, it is a whole other risk. You know, it's a whole other thing that everybody's going through. But I, a million percent agree with you. When and I it see, fucks with you. It fucks, it fucks with you yeah. just to see like yeah. sports happen. Even though there's no fans, it's still like, well, those guys are doing it. So like, what am I? Am I an idiot just sitting here like a rube just doing it? But it's like, I don't want to get this virus that affects people in ways that we straight up don't know how it's going to for the rest of our lives. Like we just don't know. People are like running backs are freaking hospitalized, like heart bullshit. Like I don't want it. I have no interest in getting it. It's one Thanksgiving. I'm happy to like see people from a distance and be masked and like get the fuck out of there. I'm not trying to do it. It's, I don't remember if you ask me what happened Thanksgiving like 2009 or 2014. I don't fucking remember. I don't remember. Who cares? Can, can I tell you what's funny about it is I was talking about this at work because I was getting frustrated. Just, you know, like looking at pictures of airports and and, you know, like. Just it's one Thanksgiving, you know, it's just one. And I think about the number of times that people in my family had said to me, not like my immediate family, but, you know, the extended family had said, you know, one year I just would like to just sit home at Thanksgiving and skip it. It's <laughs> just like, can we all just pretend there that this is the year we all decided to skip it? There you go. It's very, it's very yeah. hard, but yeah. there's light at the end of the tunnel and we just yeah. like, got to get, just got to get through yeah. it. So get just through like, it. take care of yourself. Like yeah. there's people in my family that are like, well, they're, you know, they, you can't get it from like your friend, Like you can't get it from someone who like loves you. It's like, yeah. that's not true. <laughs> you don't love someone. You don't like, it's not like a show of strength. You're like, I love my aunt or whatever so much that I'm going to risk this to see them. It's like, no, you, it's well, the I, opposite. It is the I, opposite. If you love yeah. them that much, then you'll stay the fuck home. Well, and I would guess you're actually far more likely to get it from somebody you love because you're far more likely sure. to be close to that person for extended period. Exactly. In any case, enough COVID talk. I just wanted to say that I had a new appreciation for what you've gone through. One week. One week and he's done. Well, it was but but remember, I've done it none, like zero. So it was um and I I I wanna say like I it's not like I've been prancing around town or something. I mean I I'm I, going I, from to the work. pictures I've seen, you're prancing. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, before we get going, I, I like this Apple podcast uh, review. We're at 2,787 uh, five-star ratings. We get to 3,000. We're actually sort of getting close now. I have to read reviews 2,000 through 3,000. The subject line is, yeah, you know Lickface, uh, which, by the way, is mentioned in Dave Ruder's book. In any case, I've been listening since before Cornblow was a sponsor. The one time I went on vacation and didn't listen to the pod, the Lickface episode happened. I heard it the next episode and thought it was some small bit that I didn't need to figure out. Months and years have passed and Mike is still beating it into the ground like the printer in office space. Others mention it like a mark of a true processor, but I still haven't taken the five minutes to Google it. I hate not knowing it, but it's so ironic at this point that I can't bring myself to take the red pill and look it up. 
that's the type of sadism you have to enjoy to root for the Sixers who simul- while simultaneously hating them. Welcome uh, to the Colt brothers and you soon your girlfriends that you'll drag to Indianapolis to watch a guy that had to pay a cover at Xfinity Live playing the NBA. Five stars. So I do think it's funny that somebody who's listening for five years doesn't know that part. Um, there was an important trade this week. You know, I, we mentioned when we were talking about Dwight Howard that Maury tested us right away. And mm-hmm. I, I, th- I, I really think that he tested the, the diehards in a way, in this way, because they were still much like you. You know, in our very last episode, you were talking about Zaire as a member of the rotation and <laughs> the LeBron stopper. Uh, and they, he trades him for a fucking center you know, given the history of the last few years, Zaire Smith, I, I want your reaction. Just want to frame it. Zaire First Smith, of all, I didn't call Zaire Smith the LeBron stopper. That's, <laughs> that's misrepresenting what I think. I still think this team is lacking in big LeBron wings stopper. that can cover those kinds of players. Yeah. Uh, if Ben if Ben goes down, they're in a lot of trouble. So I think over the course of the season, they'll have to rectify that in some way. Um yeah, I mean, the Zaire Smith trade hurt me a lot, and I reacted strongly to it mm-hmm. um, because, like, it, it just made me think about the whole thing. Like, this was right after they drafted Zaire, right after Brian Colangelo got uh, begrudgingly let go. They didn't want to do it, but they did. Um, and it was the... We're not looking for a GM. We're just going to kind of ride it out with the sort of people we have here. And I was worried about it. And with the 10th pick in the draft, they took, I'm pretty sure it's 10. They took Mikhail Bridges, Philly kid, Nova kid, uh, perfect fit. Um, a guy I loved. I had him very, very high on my board. Um, but then Phoenix offered them uh Zaire and a future first, the Miami first, which which at that time was actually going to look really good. It it later on didn't look as good because um, it wasn't the double draft. It was going to be. It wasn't the double, double draft, draft, and also yeah. Miami got significantly better. Yeah, so it's, it's, it'll be it'll be next year's draft pick is what they what they it acquired is, and then and then shipped out in the Tobias trade. By the way, we've had both general managers. Oh no, because. Elton didn't make that trade. I was going to say we've had both. We had the two general managers that made that trade, but it wasn't Elton. We did have Ryan McDonough, but that was the. Uh, well, there wasn't a general manager. Yeah, Brett. I guess it, it was Brett and David David Heller. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I I love I love Zaire. I thought I had him lower than Mikhail on my board, but I, I loved him at Texas Tech. He was a raw player out of Texas Tech. Um, and when you draft a guy like that and think about his potential, you're drafting him. Not for like he's going to come in right now and dominate. Not like you know the kind of player you're drafting when you take Zaire Smith. And then I forget the order which happened first, but obviously he broke his foot and then had a terrible allergic reaction to sesame from the Sixers facility and lost 50 pounds and nearly died. I, but before we uh, we blame the Sixers for a lot of things, Zaire, Sm- Zaire Smith didn't even know he had the allergy. So to that, Has he said that? Yes, he said he didn't know. It was, they, they were unaware. They were I'm unaware. sure it wasn't so like I just, some Sixers employee just like throttling, <laughs> stri- shoving it down his throat. But and and so like obviously that took that year away. 
Yeah. And then this past year, he's recovering from that. It's essentially his rookie year, already a rookie year for like after an injury and for a raw player already. And it was half a season. And then it's the coronavirus. And so like to I know that his option was coming up. They had to decide whether to pick up his option. And it, it's not ideal to have to pick up a five million dollar option for someone that you still don't really know what he is. But he's 21. He's been delivered. He's wait real quick. A- I, I think you're skipping. Are you skipping a year or no? Was no. it only two? Only two years. Okay. Two years. Yeah. And one of the years he almost died. Right. This is the third year. This is the. Third this is the third. Year. It's coming into right. the third year. And right. so I. I just. It just, it just, the whole thing, obviously I feel bad for Zaire that this stuff happened and I feel bad. Like the thing that gets me most, and I say this a lot, like it's just like logic. Logic really doesn't, it, it just fucks with me when there's just like, you mishandle something so much and go like, well, there you go. And I get that it's sunk cost and I get that Daryl Morey comes in and is like, well, he's not my guy. I didn't make that pick. I got to just go with what we have. But like the whole thing was just so poorly handled this whole time. And, and you got to exercise, there's someone has to exercise a level of patience when, when all this stuff happens amid all this stuff and just be to be like, Hey, we're trading him for what I think. I think he's a fine backup center, but to, to get him after Dwight Howard is frustrating. It's like another one position center that doesn't stretch the floor, at least as of now. And so it's just like, to me, it's like, well, what a pointless exercise. And I know the Pistons cut him and I know that we'll see where he ends up and maybe he has to go overseas and like figure it out. Or maybe he never lands anywhere. And it's just like, this fucks up his career because like fit, uh, is part of it and finding a, a place that will actually develop you and you can grow into a role or whatever it is. Like there's a chance that he just never makes it. And it's just like, it ends like that. But I think that the, the guy that Zaire was out of college, I firmly believe is an NBA player. And I believe that had he been not <laughs> poisoned, uh, and had a chance to actually develop and I think he will but if he, even if he doesn't I still believe that like that person was a player and a good organization would have made that player into something useful and would have exercised the patience required to do that and it's like some of it's just the chance that they were drawn and Daryl just like it he has to make the decision to give this team the most flexibility as possible so I, I get it but like on the whole if you zoom out like I'm just very unhappy with how everything about Zaire Smith was handled and I, I want him to succeed Really, right. really badly. I want to agree and disagree. Agree in that when they drafted him, they knew he was a a huge project. Um, they had, this also uh, accelerated in a way that maybe they didn't know it was going to accelerate. Well, maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. I don't know. He was a huge project in that in college he was basically a power forward, and he projected as like a two or a three in the NBA just based on size and build and all of those things. Uh, and he didn't have the requisite skills to be that. So they knew he was a project. I would disagree though in, and I agree that it's frustrating that we never get to see anything really. I would disagree in their handling of it. Like they didn't poison him and they also didn't break his foot. And, 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 and when I, when I watched him, you know, I, I saw enough of him, you know, he, he is not even close to ready is, is what I thought when I'm watching him. He looked honestly petrified. And, and that's not something that stats show, but when you're there and watching, he's super hesitant and has every right to be given what they're asking him to do and what he had already done and what had happened to him. But he is, to my, was to my eye, very, very, very far away. And the, the only thing I would say about getting Bradley after they trade for Howard is that 
if you're admitting that the Howard thing is important because he because Embiid gets hurt every time, then if then you need a third guy because you need two guys when Embiid gets hurt. So yeah, I mean, I, I don't think that Tony Bradley is much better than Paul Reed. Potentially. Okay. And it, so I think if, it, if you can be like, hey, when Embiid's down, your backup center is Paul Reed, or you can then make a move if he's out for like any long period of time, or if you need another guy, then fine. I just, I just, I really, for sure he's raw. And for sure, like last year, he didn't look as good as I wanted him to. But like, I think there's something with, I mean, he's just like, he's 6'4, long as hell, strong as hell, or at least he was coming out of Texas Tech before they did poison him. And I, I firmly believe it was intentional. I don't. Um, <laughs> But uh, and so like I, I just believe in like the switchability, the like the ferociousness as like a like bouncier Avery Bradley. Like he doesn't have like his handle is very raw. But right, but like yeah, I believe in that ability. Like I think like he had good touch around around the rim and from the line. Like I just I I really there was like a high IQ raw player in there. And whether it's like you blame him for some of it or just the injuries or the Sixers for not developing him, whatever it was, like it didn't work out. And that bums me out because I, I really do believe in the full package, or at least I did initially when it was uh, after the draft. The, uh, the thing I wanted to talk about with Tony Bradley real quick is that it does seem like he has a what's the word I'm looking for? He wasn't a nothing prospect, right? He was a pretty big prospect coming out of high school and he did play you know, 50 games last year for Utah, 50 or 60 games playing 12 minutes a game and, you know, fouls like every young big man does, but had a pretty strong rebound rate, you know, like both offensive and defensive had, had basically two blocks per 36 minutes. And, you know, you mentioned he's not shooting threes yet, but there, there's been, uh, who used to be the uh, Sixers reporter? What's her name? She was here like really briefly. Um, Camerata? No. Uh, she worked at the Inquirer. Man, I forget her fucking name, but she was saying that he can shoot. He was just told not to shoot in Utah, that there's something there. So whatever. I, I can I can see it from both sides here. I, I understand your frustration, especially you as Mr. Prospect Guy and Mr. Prospect Guy who believed in him. But I also watched and realized that his position, you know, like if they don't have better players than him playing then they're in trouble anyway playing two and three i think i mean so. they also they also the the year after they draft that year they draft matisse to do essentially the same thing i'm not saying they're the same player yeah. but the roles would be the same right um but matisse so i think much further along yeah much further along. Yeah. He's, a, he's way older he's, he's yeah. already, even though he's drafted later he's still like two years older um yeah i mean tony bradley's not bad i think he's super long by from memory I believe his wingspan is like seven five or like mm. seven seven, like some crazy wingspan. And so I think, but he's not he's not like athletic. He's not bouncy, so I think he can get rebounds. But he's not like a big putback guy the way Dwight is. Um, Sarah Todd, Sarah Todd. I'm sorry, Todd. I just want to remember her name. Yeah, um, um, I, I think I think he's probably fine. He's an expiring contract. Maybe they'll see if he if he he's can play restricted. and he becomes a. Becomes, you know, Embiid's long-term backup. Who the hell knows? I, I would rather have like an actual stretch five as much as I more than anything want to believe in uh, secret shooting potential. You know, I always do um, believe it when I see it type of thing. Um, it's just it's a little disappointing to me. But I mean, you look at the Sixers roster and we can talk. We can move into them re-signing former Sixer, never Sixer, Ryan Brokoff. Um, He's not going to make the team, by the way. Maybe. 
I mean, he's a good I, shooter. Like, he's a legitimately good yeah. shooter. He's, he's pretty big. Um, and he, you know, is very well rested because he didn't play. Um, but uh, but we'll see. And, and and he's Australian, which I know you like, and uh, Ben Simmons' kinship. But to me, it's just like there, there are – I look at the team and I think it is a very unfinished product as far as the bench goes. Um, and I think that's probably intentional. I think mm-hmm. it's a – We'll bring some guys in here. We'll bring in plenty of shooters. It's very clear that they're prioritizing shooting, um, which I like for sure. Um, but it's it to me seems like there's still a little bit of a lack of like a, a backup point guard that can get to the rim type of thing. And now maybe that starting stretch point with, guard that can get to the rim. Any yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, <laughs> although I think although I think shake with the right situation i think ken is it has like that you know level of you know shiftiness and length to make some stuff happen he's not obviously a guy that you're like giving the ball and he's just like beating anybody off the dribble really just using his length and craftiness um i think that might mean that tyrese maxi they think as a hey he can play right away a little bit i don't know um i i liked what i saw i I really loved him at at uk but he still had a long way to go so we'll we'll see um, how how much Doc wants to play rookies or whatever it is, but yeah, I think I think this is the kind of thing where Daryl is letting letting chips fall a little bit. Let's see how it yeah. looks, and then uh, anticipating some teams. Somewhere. Yeah, anticipating like whether it's a buyout market because they have most what will seem like most of their mini mid level to give to somebody in a buyout market or make a trade happen, whether that's Mike Scott's salary or Terrence Ferguson or whoever. Well, so the the problem with the buyout thing is that those players are already getting paid their full salary. So they usually go where there is minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but that's, if, al- that's if, also here. Yeah, 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 could be, yeah. Uh, Brokoff is an unguaranteed contract. I, I just, my guess is he doesn't make the team. My guess is this was a... Uh, let's get him to camp because he couldn't come to the bubble with us, and that was unfortunate. And let's give him a shot. There's obviously a relationship there, but maybe you I know, mean, I, I, is, there, there is he going to make it? Sorry, God. No, I was just going to say, like he's like that's Corkmaz's role. Is he going to make? Is he going to beat out Corkmaz for like the? That's what I was saying. Three point shooter. M- yeah. Maybe like yeah, distinctly maybe. It's not like Corkmaz has a, a long come history on, of illustrious success. Um, on, I could see if if Korkmaz is shooting like thirty two percent in camp or something like that, and Brokop mm-hmm. hitting everything. They're just like, well, both guys are a one year deal anyway. May as well go with the hot shooter. I don't know. So I wanted to talk before we get to Dave. I want to talk about the uh, former Sixer that is available per trade. But a quick reminder: the newsletter will come out on Thanksgiving, but then we'll come out again at midnight with the t shirt sale. So sign up for the corner three. It is brought to you by Stateside. No gluten in stateside vodka, cold filtered, zero carbs, no sugar, kosher, fucking distilled seven times, statesidevodka.com. All right. Lou Williams. Apparently, like, there's there's a lot of, man, for a team that seemed like, with the Clippers, before Kawhi and uh, Paul George got there, they were like the little engine that could. The, the teamwork you know, scrappy Clippers. They all seem to fucking not like each other right now. So it does seem like, per Mark Stein, that Lou Williams is available. It's on the last year of a deal, I believe. I think he's making like nine million bucks. How interested would you be in Lou Williams? Super interested. Yeah? Big time. Yeah, 
100%. Even even given that he's he's never been able to do it in the playoffs, right? Like so, I guess my my question would be, I, I'm sure there will be a lot of questions as to what his value is. I don't think his value is nothing. I think he's valuable to somebody. Do you give up? Would you trade? Uh, like let's worry about salaries later. But would you trade Shake Milton? Would you trade uh, Matisse Thybulle? Would you trade like an actual no. asset for Lou no. Williams? No. No, I mean he's an expiring contract, and it's another one position defender, which Seth Curry is as well. Mm-hmm. Um, a no position defender, almost at pretty least much. Seth Curry yeah, is one. Sure. Yeah. Um, I I love Lou. I, I it doesn't seem like the kind of thing that will work out. Like I don't know. I don't know what, unless there's like a re, like an irreparable relationship with Lou and I guess specifically like Kawhi or PG, mm-hmm. and I guess you could say the same thing with like Pat Bev. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a new coach in there. We have the old coach that like was maybe res- part, at least partly responsible for some of the strife that's happening. <laughs> yeah. um, it, do- it doesn't, I mean, Daryl's traded, I think traded four and then traded Lou before. Um I think it'd, I think it'd be oh, yeah, helpful. Oh, yeah, he had him on Houston. He had him in Houston, yeah. right? Yeah. I think it'd be helpful for sure, but I, I don't think that there's a good trade to be made. It's it's a weird – rarely do you see, like, two, like, contendery teams trade things for each other because he – you know, they're, they're, they're both looking for the same stuff. You know, it's not like – it's not like he's like – the Clippers are like, yeah, we're really interested in Terrence Ferguson and, like, a second-round pick. You right. Know? W- would you – and you wouldn't trade – Next year's first. Um, I don't. I don't think the Clippers would want to do that. By the way, or unless they're taking, unless it's a right. three-team trade, because what do they want with a pick? But I, I, I guess I'm just trying to get your the sense of value because I agree with you, it's, uh, Brian Jacobs, uh, who uh, Brian Colangelo's wife tried to hook up. <laughs> whatever um he 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 proposed i'm sorry like that's a whole thing i'm not blaming brian and this it certainly wasn't his fault he was he mentioned on twitter he was like well we should just trade mike scott and the knicks pick next year and i'm like right. well there's no way that the, right. the clippers will do that so i'm just trying to get a sense from you with value where you yeah where I, you- I, th- I think it's a tough fit i think he's he is a luxury but not a necessity to have with a Seth Curry already on the team a little mm-hmm. bit. Like they're a little too repeaty with each other. And next year's draft is shaping up to be very good. And I, I definitely wouldn't like waste that bullet if you're not going to make a pick next year's draft, which maybe you don't in the first round. Um, because you already have a bunch of young guys here developing. Maybe you want to use that for some trade or something like that. Maybe that maybe that's the piece that you're like, okay, this is going to be the thing that gets us off of Tobias or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, yeah, I don't think that Lou is the guy that I would do with 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 this team. If another team would, I, I wouldn't. If another team traded a, a late first for Lou Williams or something, I think that wouldn't be a dumb thing to do. I just don't think it's the right thing to do for for us. Hmm. Yeah, I, I'm I'm sort of in the same place in that I don't think he is. I think he makes them better. I don't think he's the difference between them and a championship. So I, yeah. I tend to agree. I tend to agree. If, yeah. if the Josh. Seth Curry trade didn't happen. I would absolutely trade right. Josh for Lou. Like yeah. that would be a pretty easy call for me. But because it's already happened, I don't think so. You know, a lot of people won't know our our next guest, but I'm I I want you gotta listen to it because having read this book, I don't know Dave that that well, but having read this book, he he really feels like a member of the Ricky, even though he hasn't been. So I would I would tell you to hang out. <laughs> 
for this. Um, before we get to Dave, the Rice Ricky Sanchez podcast brought to you by Big Barker Dog Beds. You know, my brother, my brother, <laughs> my dog doesn't Matt doesn't mind being uh, quarantined because he gets to sleep on a big barker. He gets a bed that can literally hot take. Do you have a hot take? I hear um, the sound. Yeah, uh, I think your dog wants to come to work. <laughs> I tried that once like three years ago. It did not work out well. Uh, he's not good enough around strangers. Big Barker is the only if you love your dog. It's the only bed you can have your dog sleeping on. And we're not saying, like I am saying this because they're paying for an ad, obviously, but I'm mostly saying it because it's true. When Eric from Big Barker told me about the bed, told me how it, you know, uh, was made to support his his uh, his his former dog, Hank, who passed away. It was a big dog. He couldn't find a good bed for him, how it really supported his joints, how he got engineers to really make this bed. I didn't believe him until the bed came and I saw Rebel laying on it. I'm like, oh, your old bed, you were basically sleeping on the floor. It went right to the floor. This thing, you're, you're six inches off the floor because it's real memory foam. Um, engineered by experts to, to do that, to support your dog's joints, so your dog's healthier. That's it. Uh, go to bigbarker.com slash Ricky, bigbarker.com slash Ricky. You get the Big Barker dog bed. You get two processed pup patches. You get a handwritten note from Eric, and you get a dog who is going to be healthier um, because his or her joints will be healthier. It's not just for big dogs, any size dog. They have every size Big Barker, even the Barker Jr. for tiny dogs, uh, but especially important, the Big Barker for dogs over 50 pounds because up to 80% of them develop arthritis as they age. 10-year warranty on the Big Barker. The foam doesn't flatten or they replace it for free. I think I've had my Big Barker for three years, two and a half, three years. It looks exactly the same as when I got it. It's amazing. Uh, One-year at-home trial. If you don't like it, send it back. They'll even pay for the shipping, complete refund. Handmade in the USA. Big Barker dog beds. All right. Our guest today is the great Dave Reuter, Philadelphia <laughs> Zone, Dave Reuter, the Spectrum Zone, Dave Reuter, uh, at Where's Ben Rivera on Twitter, former Liberty Ballers royalty, Sixers Hall of wow. Fame, once judged a dunk contest with Daryl Dawkins. <laughs> True, correct. Uh, Dave wrote, wrote the book. A Sixers Odyssey, which I have here. I believe I have the not for sale copy, uh, which is pretty legitimate. So do I. I have that as um, well. And I'm really happy to have him on the podcast. Dave Reuter, how are you doing? Guys, thanks for having me. First time, long time. Uh, excited to be here. Yeah, it's, uh, man, uh, it's been a year. It's been a year, and I was like, what can make this even more crazy and more weird? I'm just going to write a book about Ron Anderson 30 years after the fact and <laughs> take it from there. So you are, you have been doing, you know, when I, in my uh, previous life running uh, LibertyBallers.com, the glory days of uh, mediocre Sixers teams, um, I brought you on, I believe you were writing these, uh, basically every chapter is is a new guy. And you were writing, remember this guy as a fan post. And I was like, why is this guy funnier than I am? I don't like it. I'm going to profit from it and steal sure. him and, and take credit for it. And so uh, how much different are some of these from the Remember This Guy post back in the Liberty Ballers? Well, one, they're certainly longer, right? Uh, when, I, when I started the Remember This Guy, that was on my old blog, right? So I had a blog, whereisbenrivera.com. I started that in about 2008. <laughs> 
everyone at two and a big success and a huge success. Uh, right? Marginal success, I would call it marginal <laughs> success. Everyone in two thousand eight had a bug. Everybody had a mm-hmm. bug. Yeah, that was the fightings era. That was when that the, was the fightings. Yeah, absolutely. zoo with Roy. Yeah, there used to be like even someone would have like a field of sixty four, just of Philly blocks, just of the Philadelphia Phillies. I could even crack that spike. I'm talking like <laughs> I'm in the NIT of Philly. Philadelphia Phillies. <laughs> so when, when I started writing these, I was just writing about like Karen sports. And like, this was like when the Phillies were in a world series and just like stupid stuff. Like, Oh, the Phillies played a raise in game three, of the world series. You can watch it on Fox. And if there was someone who had no idea what channel the Phillies like world series game is on, like they're flicking through like, Oh, ESPN too. Maybe it's on the deuce. Right. It was like the stupid stuff. <laughs> and I wasn't getting any traction there. So like one day randomly, I'm like, you know, I'm worried about Charles Shackelford. Right, everyone knows Charles Shackelford. Charles Barkley famously said, "I asked for Shaq, the game he Shackelford." I'm gonna write about Charles Shackelford and see what happens. And like one person commented, who I didn't know, which was great. And they're like, "I remember him." And I was like, "Who? Who is this angel from above that has come down and like commented on my post saying I remember Charles Shackelford too?" I was, I was like, "I was thrilled." I was like, "Tell your friends, I you know I remember Shackelford too." So that was kind of like, oh, well, maybe I'm onto something here. What everyone's writing about the current Philly sports scene, and there were so many blogs out there. What if I write about these teams from my childhood, like these teams from the '90s? Go backwards. Go right, exactly. And a lot of teams from the '90s outside of '93 World Series, we were terrible. The Phillies were terrible. The Sixers, after Barkley, before Iverson, were terrible. Uh, the Eagles had their moments there, but for the most part, Rich Coast, I terrible. So this is reading about all these bad teams, and what I didn't have to write about, like. Oh, so and so made this great comeback, and they won the championship. I'm worried about all these guys. Where I got a Sixers were 27 games under 500 by Valentine's Day, so I'm able to have like this a lot of flexibility and write all these jokes and uh, be funny about that. So that was kind of uh, you know the genesis of how this all started. There, I think what's different between the essays in this book is I'm actually doing the research. 12 years ago, just like. I think Shackelford like, scored like eight points like against the Nets. Oh yeah, what the heck? No one's gonna, no one's fact checking me. But uh, when I started writing these halfway through, I was just like, man, what if I could actually pull actual newspaper articles, like stuff written about, about those times there? And kind of how I started with that, and this is so random, is that this is in the book there. I did a chapter on Warren Kidd. Warren Kidd was an undrafted rookie, uh, the same year as Sean Bradley. Uh, he ended up making a team. I remember watching all the preseason games, just like falling in love with this guy, Warren Kidd, like desperate for him to make this team, like this underdog story, undrafted. He ended up making a team, actually started the first 14 games of his career, undrafted guy there, outplayed Bradley. But anyways, I remember watching his preseason game vividly. Like I have this weird memory, uh, not photographic. You were, you were how old? Uh, gosh, nine years old, 1993. Mm-hmm. And it was October. And I know uh, specifically, Mike, because the game was being played in Pittsburgh. I was watching a preseason game where the Sixers were playing in Pittsburgh. And I started reading about Warren Kidd. I keep going back to that one, that one night in preseason game. And I remember like, what if I – does my memory hold up? Like, why were they playing in Pittsburgh? So I actually was able to dig through some newspaper articles, and I found it. And the Sixers played the Chicago Bulls at the Pittsburgh Civic Arena. And I was able to read about <laughs> recap of the game. And I was like, oh, I, was like, I think I'm on a something. Is not only if I can buy my memories of me specifically remember watching that game and I try to tell my mom, like, mom, like Warren Kidd, he's going to make the team. He's having a great preseason. Like he's pushing the guys in camp. My mom was like, (laughs) wash your hands for dinner. Like she didn't give a shit. And I'm just like, no, this is really exciting. And then to actually find newspaper articles like backing up that, you know, those memories. Like, yeah, like Jeff Hornacek ended his lockout uh, or ended his holdout 
and Warren Kidd looked good. He had a real chance to make the team. And I'm like, yeah, Inquire, I know. Yeah. I, I remember that. <laughs> and I think that's the difference, Mike, is when it was just my blog, it's just me having memory, you know, writing jokes. But this book, I'm like, man, let's let's be authentic about it. So a lot of these, you're cracking open the ja- the Jazzners, right? And really getting a into lot it. of Phil Jazzner, right? All these uh, great writers from the Daily News, the Inquirer, et cetera, where I'm using actual quotes about them, uh, quotes about particular nights, particular stories, coupled with my memories. And I think that's the biggest difference. There is like it's like those remember this guys, but kind of on steroids, right? They're longer, they're more thought out, they're more researched, and it, it kind of pairs well with uh, my memories of these players and also with the actual facts information articles i found from way back in the day for for context for anyone who's listening and mike described the book the book is basically about random sixers uh forgotten sixers and which pairs nicely and i i want to go back like two steps it pairs nicely with the history of this pod because the first three and a half years of this pod were only random sixers basically (laughs) was was like the and you know, AU, you talked to AU and we, AU did an article on our website and basically talked about that era of Liberty Ballers and you being a precursor to what we did. And I think, you know, it's funny, we, the Ricky gets a lot of credit for like all of this, but when you look back in the way you guys were writing, the weird way, the sort of sarcastic, self-hating way, it was there. But the only reason that the Ricky gets more credit is because we we haven't changed our people, right? It, the Ricky is still me and Mike from the beginning. So I guess, anyway, do you look at a long way of saying it? Do you look at what you did and what Mike did and what uh, Jordan Sams, who ended up leaving the blog to go work out, did? What what the sure. blog was? That, Tanner Stidell, Tanner, Derek, and yeah, Eric Godner. Yeah. Um, do, do you do you see the connection? Like, do you look at that and go, "Oh, wow!" Like, if it hadn't been for us, this whole thing wouldn't be exactly like it is right now. Well, I do like to take all the credit for it. So yeah, <laughs> I, I do think. That's right. But I, I, know, I, th- I, I know what you're saying, and you have a point there. Is right? You guys started, you know, during the Hanky era when the teams were bad, mm-hmm. right? And you realize you have to have fun with it, right? There's an end goal, obviously. There's an end game, but like during that, you have to endure a lot of losing. So you might as well have fun with that. I at least think the process was entertaining because we knew we were building up to something. When I started writing uh, with Liberty Ballers and Mike, we were like thinking like the Doug Collins, like uh, like 25 articles about how Kwame Brown can like clog the middle, like just, <laughs> just absolute trash and crap. And like a team that's like just pencil them in for 32 wins and just move on. Like we weren't going anywhere. It's like you're picking 18th in a draft every year. So it's almost <laughs> like, like what's the point of like you know writing like a game preview for like Sixers Hawks in March and saying well you know Spencer Halls has to slow down pre slaughter now somehow unless it's gonna be a long night like who cares right who cares about stuff like that so you start just kind of pushing the envelope and I think that's why Mike was so good and obviously he got such a following so quickly is that he wasn't afraid to be like listen the team stinks but I'm a fan regardless like I'm going down with the shit boring or not here so I'm gonna just write some crazy stuff. And I think that's kind of why Liberty Ballers caught on. And I also think that uh, certainly when Mike took over the site, the writers he was getting, like the Kyle Newbecks and the Mike Ballmans and the Roy Burtons and, and the Seamuses, like all these people actually, they legitimately like are right for a living. So it's like, it wasn't just like, like I was just like a random guy who was like, has like a, a boring finance job, like likes to write on the side. Like Mike was like, no, this guy's going to be 
write for the ringer. This guy's going to write for the athletic, Philly voice, et cetera. So I think, you know, a combination of Mike saying, Dude, write whatever you want, have fun with it. And then uh, also Mike bringing a lot of talented people uh, was really just like, all right, the team sucks. Boy, we might have something here. Like Liberty Balls may uh, kind of develop that cult following. And I'm glad this is becoming about me. I think this is nice. <laughs> well, uh, I did. That is what I was hoping for. I did for. bring you Bauman. Uh, I just I want to say that. Yeah. You did. Yeah, you did. Sure. You did. I think yeah. Rich Hoffman yeah. as well yeah. in there. Uh it's been a good it's been a good bunch of them. Um Matt Carey as well yeah. for sure. Uh the the book is uh for me very funny because I know you and we're friends. Um but it also is you have this a really good memory for what what you were doing, I, I just remember, like, I remember, you know, obviously, like, Elliot Williams and hating Damian Wilkins and, <laughs> right. you know, all eight eras of Kevin Ollie and stuff. But I don't remember specifically, like, where I was and the way that, like, the, the way you bring yourself into it is sort of like an amusing, uh, oftentimes, like, teenage side character um, just sort of, like, weighing in. Uh, amid your daily life, I think is really interesting. Do you like? Do you have that good of a memory of pinpointing like where you were when these things happened? It is so strange. So I, I don't describe my memory as photographic. I'm terrible with names. I cannot learn anybody's names. If you introduce me, twenty minutes later, I'm like, what's that person's name again? But I'll remember what that person was wearing, and like a joke they made or like a song that was on the jukebox when I met that person for the first time. I have a memory like that where it's these random details that are like in like the background that I remember. But if you ask me if that person's name was Bob, couldn't tell you. But I'll know that like Jim Blossoms was playing like on the radio at that moment when I was introduced to him, right? Like crazy stuff like that there. And to me, I think I mentioned this in, uh, in the article with AU the other day there is I always go back to the Roy Holiday no-hitter, right? That's like ingrained in my head, like mm-hmm. one of my favorite moments, you know, as a Philly sports fan. I'll remember where I was, what I was wearing, what I was drinking. I was drinking a lot, like every detail of that day. And it wasn't so much like holiday through the no hitter. Obviously, it was great. It was a 27 ounce, but it was like, it was like the the event of it all, like the spectacle of it all. Is this as far as where I was and what I was doing? And it's just like I think that's what like resonates, you know, with fans, right? It's not so much just watching, you know, watching these athletes. There is that, like, yeah, I remember. I remember where I was and what I was doing, and I think. That uh, when I was writing this, I was just at first I really I didn't really want to be inter- interject myself into the story, Mike, because I'm just not that well known. Like no one knows who I am. Like I have this small following there, so it's like, why would anybody want to read about this random guy Dave for 76 chapters? But then I'm like, man, like just like just like me, all these people are just fans too, just like everyone else. So if I had this memory of watching this random game or you know, watching James Anderson, you know, you know, drop 36 on the Rockets there. Why not bring that up? Because I, I'm sure a lot of readers can say, yeah, man, I remember that. I remember watching that game. And I thought, you know, like, I thought there was a value there of me adding my memories of that night or of that player, as opposed to just having this dry kind of, oh, so-and-so played at Georgia, you know, and then he played three years with the Jazz, right? So you, I kind of wanted to add that flavor because I think the reader can kind of, you know, understand where I'm coming from. I, I think obviously my my whole life and career has has weaved between music and sports, but it it does seem like the way that you talk about sports 
is the way that a lot of people remember music, which is why their favorite songs were when they were, you know, 14 to 24 is because all these momentous things happened and they remember where they were. It paints a picture. And I think it's actually sort of similar when people ask me about the pod, I would say, yeah, it's about the Sixers, but it's mostly about Mike and I's experience with the Sixers, right. you know, like it, it's that thing. And I think you, uh, you write it in a really good way. Like you feel it. And I always say, and this happens more with music writing is that I don't have to like the band that they're writing about. They have to really like the band and they really like it. They paint that picture. And I think you do the same thing in the book in a really funny way. To, to be clear, you said, you know, you fact check. Yeah, there are facts in here, but it's, it's not like a encyclopedia. That's not the point of it. You know what I mean? Right. It's about right. you and your memories of them. So I right. think it's, uh, it's really cool. I want to run if I could. So I go through all of them. I would say I read about half of them at this point, but I had a list of players who I feel like are not forgotten enough to be in your book that you listed. Fair. Now, I just a quick comment. Just I, I want to sure. know if now you admit basically that Hersey Hawkins is a little too good. Way too good. Isn't Jeff Ruland, given his history, not forgotten enough? I think Jeff Rulin is attached to the Moses Malone trade and he'll yes. ever be attached to the Moses Malone trade. But I don't really focus on that. I focus on the comeback, the right, right. 12 Wait, games well, the- that he played. And the crazy to, – to Jeff Rulin's credit, <laughs> this guy retired in 1986. It's like This is like Mr. Perfect in the 2003 Royal Rumble who hadn't yeah. wrestled in like 12 years. And all of a sudden, like, is that Jeff Rulin's music? Is this guy like coming back here? <laughs> and he and he should he should have had music. I think that would have made it more likable. I think the craziest thing, and I I somehow didn't know the story of Jeff Rulin's comeback and what happened that kind of derailed it. And I almost don't want to ruin it. Yeah, I I almost don't want to ruin it. It is a crazy story that I just had not heard before. It involves him being injured by people working for another team. Let, let me ask you, Spike, if if that happened today, if Joel Embiid was playing a game about to board the team bus and an incident <laughs> happened without giving any spoilers, how would Sixers Twitter react when it's just like, oh, cool, Embiid's out for an extended time. We're going to sign Amir Johnson to a 10-day. It, it should be fine. How would Sixers Twitter react to that? And that's why I included that in the book because that story is so crazy. Like even Mike yeah, is admitting that it's he worth- didn't know it. Without social media, that probably just got – you know, kind of dusted under the rug there. And I'm just like, man, if that happened today, Twitter would be bonkers over that. Like the conspiracy theories would be like out the wazoo. Spike would get like someone from like DHS on the podcast <laughs> to like find a way to find these people. And Seamus and Jim would be at the whatever, you know, Utah airport, like scouting to make sure like it would be, it would be all out assault on these people. It'd be a Real public enemy number one thing. Uh, and so, and that was the reason, right, is I think that particular story, a lot of people may remember it, a lot of people may not because, again, it happened in 1992. But I thought that was a story that didn't impact uh, the Iversons or the Barclays. That it's like, man, I have to talk about that. And just even if like finding articles about like the trial without giving it away, just like Jeff Rowan versus, you know, like I just feel like that was a story that's so crazy and interesting enough that I, I thought that deserved to be in the book. Uh, but he wasn't all star in the 80s, admittedly. So. I only want to ask you about one more of them. I'm just going to say that I do think Andre Miller, Willie Green, Rick Mahorn, Larry Hughes, all too famous. But the <laughs> the one that I wanted to ask you about was Armand Gilliam. Because yes. I, 
I think I read over it twice. You spell it both ways he spelled it, Armin and Arman, but I don't think you reckon, you even mention anywhere in there that he changed the spelling of his name. I refuse to. Uh, no, yeah, so I actually don't think I spelled it Armin with an O. Uh, he was born Armin with an O. Right. But everyone I called thought- him Armon, so, or everyone pronounced it Armin. Armon, yeah. And he just gave up, and he just goes, all right. And he changed his name, just kind of like he was just tired of getting it pronounced Armin when it's really Armon. So uh, before he passed away, at some point, he changed his name to A-R-M-E-N. Right. I, I think I spelled it A-R-M-E-N the whole way. Mm. In hindsight, why didn't I just go, he changed his first name? I don't know. <laughs> but I think it's just like a weird detail. Like, oh, by the way, <laughs> he changed the spelling of his name when he's like 34. Yeah. <laughs> go yeah. figure. I don't, I don't think I know if I had a proper oh. segue for that. But uh, yeah, he uh, it was born Armand with an O, and he changed halfway through to Armand with an E. And the reason why guys like that and Hersey Hawkins, Derek, on the cover specifically, right? You got Hersey Hawkins, William, right. and, and Clarence Weatherspoon. And the reason I did that there is, right, my favorite player when I was young was Barkley. Sixers got Iverson. My favorite player was Iverson. But those three guys, they were my favorite players to kind of bridge that gap. Hmm. And, like, and, and like, were they superstars? No. Uh, Hawkins was a one-time all-star there. But, like, I was never like, oh, well, Jordan's my favorite player. Or Barkley's in Phoenix, but I love Barkley. Like, I never followed players around. It's just always what guy was in a Sixers jersey. So it's like these teams were lousy, but, man, like, that was my team. So it's like who who scored the most points on a Sixers in 93? Aaron Gilliam, that's my guy, you know, like – Bring on the hammer, right? And I think, you know, then it was Clarence Weatherspoon. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to include those to kind of outline. It's like sometimes, like, the team's lousy, but, like, I wasn't, like, jumping ship. So hammer, hawk, spoon, come on come on aboard. I, I think about the back of Clarence Weatherspoon's head <laughs> so often. <laughs> Just the way that it looked, the way that there was, like, maybe too much skin or, like, he's doesn't have much of a neck, so it's like tilting back. He's got like this roll. I think about it all the time. <laughs> I think it was from any thoughts about that. It's from the excessive pump fakes. I think that's what it was. There, it must right? be. A, no, it must be <laughs> uh, uh, so, so you don't write about the Sixers anymore. We text occasionally with with uh, Tanner in a in a group chat, charmingly known as uh, Derek's got the recap. Um, <laughs> and I, I I wonder how you feel about the Sixers now over the last couple of years, like what is your, you're living in a, I don't want to say golden age, but you know, for the Sixers over the course of their history, like a silver age, kind right. of. Uh, the, the Raptor series, that one set me back, right? That one hurt, you know, that one stung to have uh, that, that jumper by Kawhi go down the way it did there. It, it's weird because it's almost like when I was a kid and the Sixers would be like, 17 games like under 500 but i'm like oh man if they can go six and three on like the christmas west coast swing you know and maybe uh you know the pistons you know have a rough patch we're, we're like two games out of the playoff spot whereas like 25 year old dave's like tank you got a tank you started season oh and two we got a tank uh <laughs> you know bench everybody and now it's like the sixers for the most part pretty good right this year was like a complete debacle obviously the sweep there but like Jeez, uh, you know, they were a six seed. They missed won 60% of their games there. But it's just like now it's almost, like, it's almost like you're always wanting more. It's like the Sixers were terrible when I was a kid. I was like, oh, but man, what if they just made the playoffs one time? Now the Sixers are pretty good. I'm like, ah, God, they're so far away from a championship there. So like, I don't know if I'll ever be happy. But in the grand, grand scheme of things, they're 
they're obviously they're very competitive. They have two superstars, in my opinion. So I'm certainly just like, yeah, it is what it is. Uh, I, I'm certainly kind of. I'd rather go down with Embiid and, and, and Ben just because they're my guys, right? Like I'm certainly not one of like, yeah, you have to trade one of them or, you know, Ben's got to do X, Y, and Z. I think it's so rare, especially now today's NBA, that you can have like these guys on your team for an extended amount of time. It's like once free agency hits, like all these guys are jumping and forming these super teams here. So it's like Ben and Joe, will they ever a championship? I don't know, but like I'm willing to stick it out and find out because like those are our guys, like we drafted them. And I, I do feel better with Maury. That goes without saying compared to <laughs> I feel better about than I did like a month ago. Um, I wanted to talk to you about something you wrote about the Eddie Jordan era, which is very close to my heart. Um, <laughs> before you do, um, you, you're going to have to – we're going to talk about DraftKings real quick. Can you hang okay. out? Well, all For right, sure. great. So our presenting sponsor is DraftKings, DraftKings Sportsbook. Um, more, uh, more odds have come out for this year. So Sixers winning percentage over under, wait, hold on. No, this is, yeah, hold on. Sixers winning percentage this year is over under 59.5. It feels like an easy over. Do you think? 59.5 would be what? Um, 72 games well, in the... In it- about 40. in an eighty in an eighty game season, that's basically fifty wins, right? I mean, I think. Uh, hold on, but look at us math majors. I, we, yeah, and I'm, do I'm it. easily do it going over. over. Yeah, I think I think it's probably over. I think that they're a they will be a good provi- health provided a good regular season yeah. team. I sure. think they'll be. It, to me, they've taken them back to when they were good that one other time. You know, it's like they're the right. Reddick team again. Um, Reddick team. I can't give them that much credit. Anyway, wow. Um, wow. holiday season in full swing. Pro football, college football, playoffs. DraftKings Sportsbook is where you bet. Uh, Sunday, DraftKings is ensuring all new customers are covered up to 100 bucks. That's right. You bet they cover risk-free Sunday, all of Sunday's action. They cover you up to 100 bucks. Um, and what a, uh, we're a six-point dog to, the, to Seattle, which... That's yeah. free money. <laughs> Jesus Christ. On top of that, uh, you got to check the odds boosts every single day. Check the promotions every single day. DraftKings, safe, secure. You get your money right away. You deposit right away. It's awesome. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code RTRS when you sign up. Get this can't-miss offer. DraftKings Sportsbook, ensuring your Sunday bets up to 100 bucks. That's right. New customers bet Sunday risk-free up to $100. Use the promo code RTRS when you sign up. Limited time, DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, must be physically located in Pennsylvania. In partnership with Meadows Racetrack and Casino, risk-free coverage, paid out in site credits, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. So as I've mentioned on the pod a bunch of times before, I actually grew up a, uh, a Knicks fan and was a Knicks fan until my mid-20s even. And it was when I moved back to Philly and was working at a music radio station that I got a press pass to Sixers games during the Eddie Jordan era and started going to every single game and uh, blogging about it because they gave me a pass. The Jason Capono chapter captured two things. First of all, the fact that he was supposed to be the greatest three-point shooter of all time and, and couldn't get off the bench. And, and the other thing was 
the noisy rims, the rims echoing through the Wells Fargo Center, I will never forget. Never in my life. I right. I first I thought I imagined that, but I actually <laughs> no. look back. I wrote something for Liberty Ballers. It wasn't about Jason Capono, but I referenced Eddie Jordan and the rims. So I was like, okay. <laughs> In 2020, I can't remember if there was microphones on the rims during the Eddie Jordan era, but obviously like in 2011, I was pretty sure that there was uh, microphones on the rims there. And that's within a statute of limitations, so I'm going to go with it. So I'm glad that you're verifying it. (laughs) And I think it's because nobody was there. So yeah. especially, you know, especially like these 730 starts and it's like if there is a crowd, there are a late arriving crowd. You know how the traffic is on, on the Schuylkill there. And there was a couple missed jumpers and you heard that. You heard that clang in there and it's just like <laughs> you're making dinner just like what's that noise? And it's funny of all the years of like, you know, all the different coaches, Doug Moe, John Lucas, that Eddie Jordan, that one season was just what a debacle. I and like Jason could put a number 72. Like who's like who was in charge of his PR? Who signed <laughs> off on that? I hated everything about that jersey number. I, I would agree with you. We watch a lot of bad Sixers basketball. The Eddie Jordan year was the most disgraceful year of coaching and basketball I've ever seen. Like, I've never seen anything worse right. than that. It was the worst I've ever seen. Like the Princeton offense. Yeah, like, that was tough. Come on, nobody. That's not. No one's getting fooled by that. You know, like everyone's seen a pick before. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> What is your ideal? Because you consume, you have like the normal way to consume sports, which is I want my team to win. But you, but watching it with like a level of uh, childlike joy at the sort of minutia of like this guy. Do you prefer like say this Sixers team never never wins a championship? This current iteration of it. Um, would you prefer a like? Uh, consistent fifty win team that like loses in the second round, or like a you know, horrible team just filled with remember this guy. <laughs> I mean, I, I boy, I've seen a lot of losing the last like 20 years. Like it is nice to win 50 <laughs> games here, but that's my ceiling is a second round. That's all you could give me here. You, I can't, that's all I'm giving I you, can't yeah. get like one Eastern conference finals, like by like, <laughs> I mean, I think I'd still choose that. Right. Because like, how, how will we stink so bad? Like with like our current, you know, with Embiid, like I can't, I can't have Embiid be on like a 22 win team here and be able to like yeah. reconcile that. So I'll take the second round losses and I'll enjoy beating up on like okay. the Nets and like in the first round, I guess, like in the three six matchup. That's right. <laughs> That's fair. Who who on this team or in the in last year's team is the most remember this guy player? <laughs> oh, jeez. Uh, if Ryan Brokoff had not re-signed, yeah. <laughs> even he still might not make the team. But a guy that signed for the bubble and then didn't play because his wife got the got the virus is a very. It feels like you could do a lot with that I, in, in three. I people. actually think that Sixers Adam tweeted out like the Sixers re-signed Brokoff. I bet you forgot he was still on the team. And I was I, I even said out loud. I was like, yeah. I actually had no idea that he was on the team because I feel like they. Well, you answer, you respond to all tweets verbally. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's just like I'd assume they're in the in the living room with me, like as I'm reading them there. But I was just like, we had him. Oh yeah. Oh right, he didn't play. Oh, he's still on the team. So that's a really strong. Uh, like I'd probably say him. Like that's a really strong. I wouldn't know if I would be able to get a thousand words on him, but I would damn sure try. I would damn sure try. Who's Who's the most remember this guy? coach in Sixers history gosh I mean John Lucas when I was looking back on it is 
the amount of time that he went public trashing his own team was like unreal. Like the stuff I found between him and Sharon Wright was just like I was almost like I was like even like awkward like reading this. I was like, can somebody like cut John Lucas's mic off here? Like I don't think you should be saying this about Sharon right here. Like I'm embarrassed for him like 25 years later. And the fact that like, gosh, I think it was like around April or May, maybe in later that in the summer is, oh, it was after Brett Brown uh, was uh, fired there. And somehow like John Lucas is like, oh, John Lucas is interested in coaching. Sixers is going to take a look at him. Yeah. And I was like, I was like, John Lucas the third or like, the original <laughs> John Lucas. And I think he's like, what, like, uh, you know, player development for like the Rockets yeah. or scouting or something like that. And I actually had to Google John Lucas to make sure it was the same one. And I'm just like, here I am like writing this book, like, like on the down low, like reading all these John Lucas articles. And now it's like 2020 and it's like, Sixers going to take a look, look at John Lucas. And I go, has anyone talked to Sharon Wright? I don't think he yeah. endorsed him. <laughs> I don't think he'd endorse him. And also uh, Spike, uh, Doug Moe, right? Doug Moe. Doug Moe. Did yeah. he make one season? Sure notoriously would end practice early because him and his wife like to see the afternoon matinees. And I guess when your team's that bad, like why not? Just yeah. 40 minutes and let's get him out of there. You know, you mentioning Good John Lucas, him. Richard Dumas is not in the book, but Mike would have fucked like, I don't, Mike, I don't, I don't know if you were too, you were probably too young for it. Really? You would have fucking loved Richard Dumas. Like Richard Dumas in 2020, the, the the idea of what Richard Dumas was, even though he was addicted to crack, um, was a uh, you would yeah you would have fucking loved Richard Dumas. He's, he's I he was actually edited out, Spike, and the reason why I didn't include huh. him is it was hard for me to write about Dumas in a way that was right. He had this huge drug addiction, yeah, and I was having a hard time kind of strutting that line between like trying to make it funny. But yep. then also like giving like the skeletons in his closet there. Mm-hmm. I uh, I was having like, a hard time reconciling that there. So uh, unfortunately, that was the reason why he didn't make the cut. But he was he would have been tailor made right for this book there. But it was hard to. <laughs> that was like a, a tough line for me to straddle. I was like, you know what? I'll have to I'll have to loop Willie Green in against you know uh, Spike may disagree with it. So sorry. <laughs> If so, you have seventy six chapters about these guys. These chapters about three three ish pages. Uh, who is the guy you would want to read his chapter the most? So I would say uh, as far as if you're new to this, I think the, the Rex Walters piece, right? Because that combines some personal stories, right? Like, you know, your, your brother and you playing Nerf basketball. And I start with that. And that's admittedly – like, love, love that chapter. That was, that was the first chapter I read when you sent it to right. me a few months ago. And uh, that was – Iconic chapter. That was a lengthy part there because, again, I, it's, it's talking about a player, but it's also kind of weaving in like my personal memories and a couple personal stories. Uh, Tim Perry uh, certainly jumps out of me there to slam dunk contest there because I my my best friend little brother always had a birthday party on All Star Saturday we'd watch all the slam dunk contests there so that one jumps out I think my personal favorite is actually Greg Graham right a random reserve guard and the reason for that is that the story kept changing because I when I would go through like a list of players I'm like okay I'll write about Greg Graham like and I read about a, a memory or like, uh, I remember he, you know, he scored 30 or so one game there and I would Google them and always make basketball references. The first search, uh, Wikipedia, his Wikipedia page. But when I Googled Greg Graham, it was like the first hit was a Greg Graham Jersey for sale. And I was like, what, how the hell is there a Greg Graham Jersey for sale? Like <laughs> these were like in like commercial production there. So I clicked on, it. I was like, oh my God, it's a Greg Graham Jersey. So, uh, and I, I go back to like, you know, researching him and I'm like, I gotta buy this Jersey. 
And I was like, if I don't buy it now, I know someone's going to find this Greg Graham jersey. And then two days later, it's, uh, you know, opportunity missed. The same thing happened when I tried to buy a Hersey Hawkins Bradley University jersey. I, for some reason, I don't know why I didn't buy it at the time. I passed on it. And a week later, it's gone. And it's like my life's biggest regret that I don't have this Hersey Hawkins Bradley University jersey. So I buy this Greg uh, Graham jersey and I'm like negotiating with this like eBay seller. And I'm like, I think the chapter should be all that. It's about me like Googling this random player, finding this jersey for sale in 2020 and buying that. And then when I received the jersey, I, I'm so excited. I'm like, and you'll see it right there, actually. That's the Greg Graham jersey. <laughs> it's Greg Graham number 11. And I'm so excited. I'm texting all my friends. I'm like, look at this. You know, $49.99, not even shipping and handling. I got a Greg Graham jersey. And my one friend goes, wasn't Greg Graham number 20? <laughs> and I was like, holy shit. I'm writing a book about the Sixers, and I just bought a Greg Graham counterfeit jersey. Like I might as well have bought in like Jerome Brown, like number seven, a number seven Jerome Brown jersey. So I'm like frantically Googling like what number was Greg Graham. And Basketball Reference uh, said he was number 20. I was like, oh, my God. I was like, I just bought like a counterfeit Greg Graham jersey. This is humiliating. Like I'll never be able to show my face in public. I'll be sleeping on the couch. My wife's going to disown me. And then I start writing about that is my essay becomes, I buy this jersey, and then I think I have the wrong jersey number. But Google Image is like showing these pictures of Greg Graham wearing a number 11 jersey like on his basketball card. So I'm like, why did Greg Graham change jerseys? Like what sort of like marketing scheme was this guy cooking up where he's like changing jersey numbers every three months? So now I'm like literally spending- Greg, like, Greg Graham City of the <laughs> So then I'm like spending like three weeks, like I would write another chapter or you know research other guys and I'll keep going back to this Greg Graham jersey situation. And I was like, I was trying to hunt down Greg Graham. I, I try to find him on like LinkedIn. I try to find him on Twitter. Like I wrote to like an Indiana University, like basketball historical society. I'm like, this is random. <laughs> Greg Graham changed jersey numbers in 1994. What the hell happened? What do you know? And like <laughs> crickets. So like I finally think I pieced it together, but like that essay, I think it's so organically it took on a life of its own because I found this jersey like, during like a search. I buy it. I think the jersey number is off. So it's like I think that one was so unexpected, right? As far as it wasn't kind of just vanilla cookie cutter, me researching the guys, you know, writing about a certain game, or it's just I was changing that and editing that in real time as I was getting more information and or my friends were telling me that Greg Graham was actually number twenty. That. And I say this a lot, but like anything on the internet before 2009 might as well be like the 60s. <laughs> like it's so far, but you can't find anything about it. There is just, it's just like, who knows if it's true? Some guy wrote it. The, the website is total nonsense. <laughs> it's, it's hard. It's really the wild west of discovering information. So it's. I'm very upset that the uh, Historical Society of Indiana Basketball does it's not crickets. respond to. Uh, and I even it's funny you mentioned it, Mike, because there's even one story I have in there which has nothing to do with about the players. But I wrote about Casey Shaw. Casey Shaw was a second round draft pick, I think, in 1999. Played for the Sixers for a few months, and uh, he scored one basket in the NBA. So my essay about that is I'm going to try to find video evidence of this guy Casey Shaw scoring his only two points in the NBA. And I preface that by telling a story about how my sister was on double there. Double there used to be filmed yeah. in Philadelphia. So for Christmas, like 10 years ago, my brother and I are trying to hunt down this Double Dare episode. And like, I'm like, at that point, like you're past, you're way past YouTube, Mike, especially like 2009 or 10. You're talking like GeoCities, Angel Fire, mm -hmm. like you're in like, 
you're in a dark underbelly of the internet at that point there. So like my mm-hmm. Casey Shaw chapter. Anything could be porn. Any, any, <laughs> any second it's porn. <laughs> Double there. Well, you got to click here to find out, right? <laughs> yeah, it's really it's tough. It's a leap of faith there. So like uh, the Casey Shaw chapter, it starts off with like me trying to find this episode of Double Dare. And like the same idea is like way back when, you don't know what you were finding on the internet and who you had to talk to there. Um, so so I, I had one more uh, question for you, but before I do, I, I wanted to let everyone know, like, there's a lot of people that listen to this that are process era fans. So there's a lot of process era players or just pre-process. So Gerald Henderson, Carl Landry, Hollis Thompson, uh, T-Rob, Thomas Robinson, Lavoy Allen is pre-process, but it's right pre-process. Right. Right. Uh, Lorenzo Brown, Brandon Davies, KJ McDaniels, Tony Roten, James Anderson, uh, Henry Sims, Kendall Marshall, and Furkan Aldemir. Um, there was one quote about Lavoy Allen that you did not, I don't think you included from Doug Collins, which was basically Doug Collins amazed at how little of a shit that Lavoy Allen gave about anything. Like he, he <laughs> said, he said, like, I wish I lived my life like him, not giving a shit. Um, right. and, and title of the chapter as like KG stopper was fucking perfect. <laughs> It was perfect. <laughs> There's actually, and I think towards the end of that there, and this is actually something I found from Mike and his Liberty Baller days, where in Lavoie Allen, so Lavoie Allen, when he uh, played so well against that Celtics, I think he was a rookie. But his second year, he really kind of tapered off there. Mm-hmm. And then like that was, you know, kind of the uh, Rose fell off the bloom there. But I remember. They, they played him over, played him over Vucevic. Yeah. yeah. And uh, again, Spencer Halls is getting owned by Garnett. So they would bring uh, Lavoie in, you know, it's, uh, did a pretty good job against Garnett. But there was a quote his second year and the, the reporters asked him like, like, what have you learned from like year two, like from your rookie year? Like, you know, like, like say any cliche under the world, you know, like, uh, you know, just taking it day by day. And the guy's like, uh, I haven't learned to learn anything. Uh, I guess like, I, don't, I don't, I don't have like rookie duties. And I'm just, and I, I remember like reading that, like I, I didn't remember that, but I found that article and I found like Mike Greg writing a post about it. And I was like, what the hell is the way I'm thinking? Why, why would you say that? Like, <laughs> and it's funny that you tell the story about Doug Collins saying that LaVoy didn't give a shit. And I was like, yeah, I, I yeah, that, that seems like to be like the theme for like for his career there. So as, so LaVoy Allen went to Pensbury high school, uh, and graduated, I believe, the same year I did. Um, and there was a basketball tournament at my high school that I called as the like color commentary guy. Um, and I was as long-winded on that as I was on this. And so it was Lavoy Allen and his uh, sophomore teammate, Dalton Pepper, who played at West Virginia and Temple. Um, and so I think I felt a kinship with Lavoy in the sense of like, I expect better. <laughs> of you because we came up together kind of Uh, do you have as somebody who has known mike for a very long time something that you a a story about mike or something about mike that somebody listening to this podcast would never have heard or not know Uh, well uh, i mentioned this in the the post by au but obviously yeah and i have some i have some friggin quibbles i think that was pretty fair as you know my memory's pretty strong you know that effort (laughs) at the free throw line i remember you getting called for a travel that you are uh, still upset about Uh, i'm pretty sure that pivot foot was set so i think that was a (laughs) i think it was a bad officiating there so right uh spike so when i first uh met mike in person right you're doing all this uh on the internet there we met in vegas for the summer league i think it was 2011 the sixers weren't even playing 
uh, in uh, yeah. in Vegas. There, we were in like that crappy Orlando league that like no one ever showed up at, and like mm-hmm. there were no yeah. fans. The Sixers there. did not come to Las Vegas Summer League, and four writers but from Liberty Ball. The entire there. Liberty Baller squad was up there, like <laughs> waiting to like you know shake down Ed Stefanski. And we ended up. <laughs> I did. I did see Ed Stefanski that Summer League, and I think somebody gave me like got pissed off at me for uh, I, I Andre had. I was like, why'd you sign a dollar? Something like that. I was like, but he did have, he did shoot 39% from three last year. And someone was like, why'd you say that? You let him off the hook. <laughs> <laughs> it, was really, it was really solid. That was like our big claim to fame back then there. It was like, we were, we were, we were a little bit small time. Obviously, you, you've, you've gotten a bit bigger in, uh, in the last decade or so. But when we played, uh, well, we ended up uh, like organizing a game with like ESPN's True Hoop blog. I don't know how it was, but like, it was like very official. Like there was like legit officials. I think it was at like UNLV's like, basketball teams like practice court or something like it was like a pretty like legit yeah. like and like people were taking like really seriously i remember i was playing blackjack till like five in the morning <laughs> i did not have basketball shoes uh jordan gave me a pair of his airwalks i was wearing like mm-hmm. a hacksaw jim duggan t-shirt like i was not prepared yeah, right. like i was like somebody put me on a dl like i need to like well because you were like we're going to vegas we're watching some bad basketball you thought you were with your current wife then, but you were not married yet. I right? was engaged right. and I was like, I got engaged. like three days to like, you know, play as gamble as much as I can here. And after the first day yeah. of summer league, I was like, I'm good. Like I've seen enough of like some really bad. bad <laughs> well, cause you were, you were like, I think you're like, I'm going with some young guys and like, I'm obviously not going to do anything, but like these young guys are going to get into some shit and it's going to be fun or whatever. And basically we just watched <laughs> 12 straight hours of basketball every day. And you're like, I made the, oh, but it, like after like the first game of the, the day one of summer, like I was like, Oh my God, I got 10 more. I got 10 more hours. It is like, <laughs> like what's my exit strategy? How do, how do I get to a blackjack table? Like how do I get to the strip there? But even like, uh, even that, cause like there was no like Uber then it's just like I gotta find like a payphone. Like I gotta find like who was like a number for like a yellow cab company in Las Vegas. Like yeah. it was like a big big to do. Like, pick me there. up, pick me up at the Denny's over on the <laughs> on the strip somewhere. I'll just be there. You guys watch your basketball. Get me there. I'll be laying down on the blacktop of the Denny's. It was just like and I, I, well, I, but you could see like you guys were like you guys were gonna do it for a living, right? Like as far as you guys were so invested, I was just like eh, the secrets aren't even here. It was kind of cool like, to see yeah. the first game or two, but then I'm like, oh my God, I got I got three more days of this. Like, I got to get an early flight. But I, so I remember you guys like picking me up. Uh, and so we're like on the way to the basketball game there. And I was surprised at like how serious, like, like people like SB Nation wanted to be true. Like, it was a pretty big deal. I also remember Jordan Sams not abiding by the uh, make it, take it. Meaning, if you make a jumper, <laughs> you got to give me the ball back. Like, what kind of. Was he raised by wolves? Yeah. Who does that? <laughs> All pickup is make it, take it. Yeah. Like if I hit an 18 No, it wasn't, it wasn't pickup. It was, that, this, was in, this was in warm-up. Just shooting uh, around. Okay. Oh, well, then you definitely get the ball back if you make it, if you're shooting Spike, around. I'm trying to find a rhythm here, right? Yeah. I'm, on two, I'm on two hours of sleep here. You know, like if I'm feeling it, I'm feeling it. And uh, so I think actually Mike and Tanner were certainly the best players. Tanner could play. And, uh, Tanner was hitting shots, yeah, for sure. And Mike was just – brutally bad at the foul line like this is like chris dudley esque <laughs> yeah. like and he was I, he was on the foul line all the time god he must have been he was like dominique wilkins like 1989 <laughs> like he, he was on a like i wasn't in like, like 28 free throw attempts like i was just like <laughs> half my time is watching watching summer league or like michael Vin shoot foul shots it was a weird <laughs> it was a, it weird was a tough it was a tough time for my for my stroke but i was i remember i was covering a guy who was then a true hoop blogger and is now a scout for the thunder um 
And uh, I did a good job defensively, which I, in my mind then made up for all the misses from the line. I actually thought that guy dropped 32, but I guess maybe. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Um, well, uh, but yeah, I mean, the that was it was the uh, it was a fun time and you have never been back to summer league. So. No, I think I'm good. I'll let you guys. I'll let, <laughs> I'll let, you, I'll let Sixers Adam cover that one. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I missed the chance where I would actually enjoy it at this point. Like I haven't gone and at this point. It's too popular for me to go. It's such, it's such a huge deal now. Yeah, yeah. Back then it, it was, was just like. It was the Wild West. Yeah. Yeah. Very weird stuff. You could just walk by. Dave obviously saw Bobby Jackson at the blackjack table multiple nights in a row. Started talking to him. That was asking if he should. That was a highlight. Split. That was a highlight. <laughs> for sure. For sure. The, the book is awesome. Uh, it is called A Sixers Odyssey: Exploring the Forgotten Players of 76ers Yesteryear. Love the cover art. Um, where is the? Is there a place besides Amazon to get it? Like, where's the best yeah, place to get? Any, uh, any like online distrib- uh, distributor there. It's like obviously Barnes and Nobles, uh, Bookshop.org. Uh, you can buy it there. Okay. I bought a copy there. Right, uh, proceeds from that go to helping independent bookstores. So uh, it's not yeah. in any physical, you know, brick and mortar stores there. But as far as uh, any online retailer, uh, you should be able to find it. I'm looking to see if Midtown Scholar, our friends at Midtown Scholar, have it. But yeah, buy it somewhere besides Amazon if you can. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm legitimately proud of you for doing this. Thank you. This is a big deal. I, I, I need and, to get. Uh, has, does Glenn Levin? How do I send him a copy? He's gonna get. A, he's gonna buy. He'll, he will proudly buy, buy a copy yeah. on his own. He would want to buy it and crisply look at it and hold it in his I'll hand. I think John Cusack, like free, outside you know. his door, like yeah. Dr. Levin, <laughs> yeah, that's, right. Like, that's right. He, that's he right. buys tickets uh, to our events, so he can certainly buy your. Uh, buy that's your very event. true. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, I'm, uh, I just want to apologize to MJ for you ignoring your son for the first year of his life uh, <laughs> while you wrote this book. Like she's, she's a real superstar there because, gosh, you know, it's like – and I kept it under wraps at first uh, because right, it's just like I don't want to tell people I'm writing a book and then not finish. And then people mm. like months later say, how's the book coming? Oh, the <laughs> Phillies look pretty good, right? Yeah, the Phillies the bullpen looks good. <laughs> so I kept it under wraps at first and then like my wife was just like – Dave, like you've been coming to bed at like 3 a.m. for like the last like three weeks. Like, is there an addiction? You didn't tell is he an addiction? And no, because I was just like, at first I was like, I don't know. I'm going to start writing it and I'm going to see if I can get in a flow where it's like, all right, maybe like I'm going to build momentum. And then about halfway through, I would say for four months straight, every day for four months, I've probably worked on it for at least three hours at night after uh, my son went down to bed. And like after a while though, because I'm so tired, right? My son's waking up. I have a toddler waking up around five, six in the morning. There, I'm going about at three. Like I'm dragging. I'm still working from home. You have a regular job there. And my wife's finally like, "What the hell have you been doing down there? Like, do we have a problem? Like, is there? A, you know?" And I'm like, "No, no, no. I'm writing this book about the Sixers, but I'm like writing about all these like random guys." And she's just like, "She thought you were done. She thought you were done yeah. with this. Like, <laughs> yeah. we stopped doing Liberty she's Ballers. Like, I, what do we?" I thought you and Levin aren't really talking anymore. I thought you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I was like, I'm writing about all these random Sixers. And then she's just like, well, wait, you got to write about Iverson. And I was like, no, 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 I'm not going to write about Iverson. Everyone always writes about Iverson. It's the perfect sales tool. <laughs> all of the Sixers you haven't heard yeah. of. <laughs> That's how you get it. It was so funny because yesterday I actually looked on like, uh, like it was like number seven for like one day in like top selling basketball books. And like behind like LeBron James, like children's book he wrote. Like this is completely normal. <laughs> You know, like LeBron's writing a book and like I'm here like talking about, you know, great authors. Yeah, right. <laughs> well, can, that's really good. And I hope everybody buys it. And, uh, you know, proud of you, man. That's good stuff. 
Guys, thanks so much. Yeah, um, hang on one second. We just got to say goodbye because we all got to say goodbye at the same time. Uh, if you're listening to this, uh, happy Thanksgiving. And um, you're obviously listening to it. Uh, thankful for everybody <laughs> who listens to the pod. Um, and uh, we'll talk to you this weekend. Yeah, we will. Um, uh, this this part of the, the, uh, the pod is actually mentioned in the book. So uh, are you down with TTP? Dave? Of course. You know me. Oh, he did it wrong. <laughs> Nailed it. 100%. Hole in one. Of course you know me. <laughs> oh, solid. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't, I won't fuck, fuck with you. With you. If you don't fuck with me, then I won't fuck with you. But if you fuck with me, I'm gonna fucking kill you! Thanks for playing